Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. That's that's a that's a given, right? Tires are going to be that. I can't get more. So what I mean by focusing on the wrong thing is you better start looking at the other stuff that's part of what you sell and improving that to get where you need to be because it's not the tires that are the problem. It's the ball joints and the water pumps and the brakes and the timing belts. It's all that stuff that you're selling incorrectly that's affecting because of the mix you have. That's where your problem lies and you you spend too much time focusing on something you can't change. You need to focus your time on what you can change. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge. Today, we have quite the panel in front of us and quite the topic that we're going to be covering. The topic today is gross profit margin and gross profit dollars. And we have on our panel today... uh, Murray Voth from RPM Training, Bill Haas from Haas Performance Consulting, and Dan Gilly from RLO Training. Uh, Those of you who are listening, please comment any questions you have down below. We're watching the chat. Um, If you learned something, if you enjoy the conversation, please give us a like and a share and make sure to subscribe so that you're notified when we promote and post new content. Uh, With that, let's get right into the meat of it. So the very first question is, which do you consider more important to the success of a business? Gross profit margin or gross profit dollars? And I'm going to open this up with Murray. Well, that's kind of like asking me which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Because <laughs> if you don't have a chicken, you don't have an egg. And if you don't have an egg, you don't have a chicken. So uh, to me, I don't know if one is more important than the other. But in thinking about this, I thought about engine displacement. So you can have a 150 cubic centimeter uh, engine that's tuned perfectly, the mixture is perfect, right? It's running exactly at the correct ratio, which would be GP margin. And uh, but you could have a 500 uh, or five liter of uh, three, or let's put let's go back to inches <laughs> a 351 uh, eight cylinder that's running poorly, that isn't tuned very well, and the ratios are off, and it doesn't have even half the horsepower of the other two cylinder, right? So uh, the ratios there to tell us how the mix is and how it's going. The dollars are there to because that's what we deposit in the bank. That's the horsepower. So that's kind of my take on it initially. I'm not sure you. I'm not sure you answered the question there, my friend. I think I think you skirted that. I think I think what he's talking about is context. <laughs> what do you think, Dan? Or if you want to clarify, Murray? No, I wasn't skirting the question. I just think you can't have one without the other. So it's, it's, I it's can't, it's not a good question. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll jump into that because I think you can have one without the other. Um, dollars are important. You only deposit dollars in the bank. You don't pay any bills with percentages. And there are a lot of jobs that the percentages are not so good, but the dollars are. And I've seen too many shop owners say, oh, I don't want to do that job because there's, there's no money in it. And there's a lot of money in it. And you look at, and, in fact, uh, engines, heavy-duty stuff, low-profit percentages, big dollars. Um, tires, oh, I don't want to sell tires. There's no money in it. Yes, there is. There's a lot of money in tires. 
again, low percentages, big dollars. So I focus on the dollars because that's what pays my bills. Don't you, I mean, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go the other. <laughs> of course you are. You knew, you knew we were going to have this conversation. I did because um, we've had this conversation before. But, and and I, I understand. I mean, I know that I pay my bills with dollars, but if I'm running a low margin business, whether that's all motors or all tires or all whatever, <clears throat> then I've got to do three times the work to put the same dollars in the bank. No, because because what you're what you're doing is you're looking at the you're saying okay overall for the month my my instead of my gross profit being sixty five percent it was only fifty five percent and and actually if, if again with if I use tires I know a lot of guys who's who do three million a year in tires and they run a overall gross profit about fifty percent you'd say well they're leaving money on the table no when you see their bottom line they're not but I look at gross profit dollars per hour. That's my key indicator. Mm-hmm. How many gross profit dollars do you generate per hour? So on a typical, uh, let's say a, a, a break job and, and we're going to spend an hour in labor and we're going to, and we're going to probably, uh, so we'll make it easy, a hundred dollars in labor. And we're going to do about $80 in parts. Um, overall gross profit. We made 70% on the labor. So 70 bucks. And we made uh, 50% on the parts. So we need another 40 bucks. We made $110 gross profit per hour. Well, if it cost me 108 to open up the doors, then I'm not doing much. But if I, if my, it only cost me 90, then I, then I'm, you know, again, I, I look at what does it cost me per hour to be open and what do I need to make per hour? Now you do a, a tire job, um, put tires on my truck four tires, $200 each, $800. Let's say they made 25%, a lousy 25%. Well, that's $200. And they charged me 10 bucks a tire to Mountain Balance, 40 bucks. They had a $10 an hour, $15 an hour tire buster. They did really well in that one hour, way better than putting brakes on at your 65% gross margin. Um, so again, I, I, dollars is my focus. Those of you who are watching or listening to this, comment in the in the comment section down below if you if you kept up with that. Okay, I need a whiteboard. <laughs> I got Bill, jump in here, Bill. Because you're Bill, I'd love I'd love to hear your your point. Well, uh, your point of view on this. For me, it, it's still the percentages. Okay, and and I get oh, sorry, what Bill, people are saying when they're saying you pay your bills with dollars. You're absolutely right. You're going to pay your do- bills with dollars. But I don't care when I am watching what's going on in this store. The dollars are representative of your percentages. So what I can't do is I cannot look at the store. If if I'm going to focus purely on dollars and say, well, I didn't get enough dollars. How do I change the dollars? The reality is the way you're going to change the dollars is by changing your percentage. The missing dollars become, if if I don't have enough dollars, if I'm not hitting that target for um, gross dollars, okay, I got to change a percentage. Or I have to bring more work in. I have to do twice the work. You know, when you... When well, you yeah, I could do more work, but even if you do more work... You're going to make the same the percentage percentages on that have work. to be correct. Right. Just I always view I always view the dollar amount yeah, to be more of a symptom than the cause. You raise the price in dollars and the dollars get better. And oh, by the way, the percentages do too. But you know, 
But here's the thing. If, if you watch the percentages, so if you just look at parts and you go, well, okay, so let's say I've got, uh, I've got my goal is to be at 55% gross profit on parts. Okay. When I'm missing that number, I'm missing dollars. I, you're not going to get 55% on an engine job. No, you're right. I'm not. And, and here's the thing. There's a lot of things I won't get 55% on. Tires are a great example, right? It's right. kind of like what you said earlier, Dan, about the guy that says, oh, there's no money in tires. I'm not going to sell tires. Well, maybe tires are only 28, 30, 33%, whatever, depending upon where you're at. Okay. This is the problem that I see with most of these guys is they focus on the wrong thing. They look at the tires or they look at the engines and go, oh, low gross profit dollars. Why are we talking about tires and engines? Because I can't change it. That's that's a that's a given, right? Tires are going to be that. I can't get more. So what I mean by focusing on the wrong thing is you better start looking at the other stuff that's part of what you sell and improving that to get where you need to be because it's not the tires that are the problem. It's the ball joints and the water pumps and the brakes and the timing belts. It's all that stuff that you're selling incorrectly that's affecting because of the mix you have. That's where your problem lies. And you, you spend too much time focusing on something you can't change. You need to focus your time on what you can change. That's a great point, Deb. I don't know. I, I struggle with the whole thing in, in a sense because, you know, if I've got a guy spending 25 hours on an engine <clears throat> um, and that's not going to be 25 hours, we know that the book told us it was 25, but it's going to cost my guy 30 if we do the job right, which most shops are going to, they're going to clean and paint and, you know, clean it up, make it look good as well as just pull it in and out. Okay. Um, I could have that same guy doing high margin jobs, uh, cooling flushes, brake flushes, brake jobs, and, and, and whipping out a lot more in overall dollars and putting more dollars in my bottom line. The, 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 the problem, I, I don't have a problem with selling tires and making 30%. I, I don't have a problem with doing an engine and making 10% less uh, per se. But we've got guys out there in our industry, and I mean the coaching industry, that are teaching Keep that car in your bay no matter what. Discount it down as far as you need to to keep that car in your bay, and then there's no dollars left. Whoa, whoa. Did you ever hear the word discount come out of my mouth? No, no <laughs> I did that not. That is a dirty word. <laughs> I don't say that word. Yeah, and that's not what you said, but my problem is we have a whole lot of shops out there busting their ass, and I mean guys working. We were just at a shop where this guy is working 60, 70 hours a week. They got Lamborghinis and Porsches and oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, all around the shop, and the guy's making no money, okay, because he's worried about his price and you know, what is he going to think? He's not pricing himself correctly in his marketplace or building value for his clients. Now, that's because he doesn't know how to run. He, he's a good tech. He doesn't know how to run a good business. We teach them how to run a good business. That's gonna that's gonna do fantastically. But we have guys in our industry 
literally saying, all you got to worry about is dragging enough work through your shop, no matter what the margins are. And to me, that's like, just shoot me in the head because. Well, well yeah, that's, that's stupid. Let's, let's walk Let's work smart. Not, not hard, but, but it still comes back. I got to generate dollars per hour or, and, and yes, the easy way to get there is to set your percentages on the, like as Bill was saying, on the ones that you can control, set your percentages where they need to be so that those things mix out. But let's not get all excited about uh, the, the problem I see, the flip side of what I see, what you and Bill say with the percentages is some shops say, well, I won't do this job because the percentages are, don't work. And I say, no, in, let's look at the dollars. In, in my shop, we didn't do a lot of engines because once I priced an engine to where I wanted to make the profit I wanted, which by the way, wasn't the 62% GP, it was uh, in the fifties. Mm -hmm. um, we were higher than other people, but we didn't have a problem with that because we had lots of water pumps, air conditioning units, brake jobs, and other stuff lined up. Um, I guess if I had no work to do, that that engine job would have looked really good. Well, well I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, I, I think you have to be really careful about that because I think you have to remember, I'd rather do nothing for nothing than do something for nothing. I <laughs> love that. Dan, nothing I don't know for nothing. Dan was talking about because he's saying, you know, if I bring in X dollars on that job, even though it's a lower margin job, it's a good job you, for me. You brought have. in something. But if I'm not bringing any dollars <laughs> oh. in, I'm saying that you need when you, for example, let's go back to the engine because yes, I agree, Bill, that that working for free makes no sense. Um, with when we when we price it, we have to look at the overall gross profit dollars and say, okay, this is you said twenty five hours. You 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 use that. Okay, so if I make this much gross profit divided by twenty five hours, is it where I need to be? Okay. And if it's not, then we need to raise the price and I can raise the price in dollars. I can raise the price. It doesn't really matter. The price needs to go up so that, that my number is hit. If I need to make a hundred bucks gross profit per hour, then I need to make $2,500 on that job. That's it. Otherwise it's not worth doing. So let me ask, let me but ask, I, I have this other question in my head and that <laughs> is, you know, I look at parts to labor ratio as one of my key numbers, because if the parts to labor ratio, if parts are way over labor, I have, you know, I have a labor pricing issue or I'm doing all the wrong work in my business. Because if I'm doing everything on parts with a, with a lower margin and I'm not getting my, you know, 72% out of my labor, whatever it's going to be, and I'm only getting 42% out of my parts, again, I have to do so much more work to, to just to get the bills paid at the end of the month. Do you guys look at, do you use parts to labor ratio as a, as a key indicator of yes. the kind of work. That's Absolutely. Kind of yeah. The thing that's surprising to me when you really, you know, spend some time with some of these shops that are so worried about what they're going to charge for parts, right? Cause now you have all these conversations with people about, Oh, they can find the price on the internet and they can, you know, they can buy it for less themselves and all that. And it's like the ones that are doing the worst job of pricing their parts are selling more parts than labor. And I would say they're also struggling at the end of the month to have the enough dollars to pay all their bills. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I would agree with that 100%. And that also brings something to add. That also brings in a topic of what's called labor-intensive work. 
when you actually do the GP dollars per hour on say a rear main seal, where you only made $50 on that seal and it was eight hours in the book to do the rear main seal, when you actually do the GP dollars of that, sometimes the, the uh, intensive labor actually is not as profitable without more parts on it. So we bring another layer into this conversation of, you know, pricing these labor intensive jobs with low parts margins end up being low profit dollars per hour as well, if we're not careful. Hence the need for discussing, you know, multiple service rates, multiple labor rates, depending on the type of work that we're doing. And I think, you know, I can agree with all three of you. I think we've just got to add the nuance to this conversation that yes, dollars go in the bank and yes, it's right. But I think back to what Cecil said, you know, I'm trying to be the Canadian in between. Like, I like the Switzerland of this thing, right? <laughs> um, but if I go back to what Cecil and Bill said is, is if you measure your engines and large items, right, as a separate category, margin-wise, you, you measure your tires as a separate category, then you measure your labor as a separate category, and you've got your margin, you got your gauge in front of you so that you're measuring that, and you hold yourself accountable to what needs to be, then the dollars will go in the bank, exactly as Dan says. But I think there's so many layers to this conversation that we have to be careful of making a blanket statement without explaining where that blanket statement comes from. Well, I think you're right, Murray. And, you know, the thing I want to add to that is if if you don't have the dollars that you need, you, you know how many dollars you need, right? At the end of the month, I've got bills to pay. So you know what the need is. If you don't have enough dollars, what are you going to change? You're going to change the percentage. You might change job mix, which will change the percentage. Yeah. But you when might, you change the job mix, that's a percentage. You, you might increase. How about if I just adjust my labor matrix? Right. You might my labor rate. I mean, I, there's all, I mean, yes. And thank you, Marie, for making this much more complex. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, it, it, it's a balance of everything. I think if you're, you know, when you're, when your business is running correctly, you have enough car count, you have a high enough average of parity, you're doing the right mix of work. Um, you know, like in my shop, we only did maybe two engines a year, but for us, that was the right mix. You know, um, we sold tires to our clients, not as a huge profit maker, because frankly, I could have sold them other stuff and my guys hated doing tires, but we sold tires to clients because it was a convenience. We didn't want them going over the tire store and having the tires, tire guy, you know, do whatever he was going to do to them. Um, you know, I just thought of something else. We're focusing on the large item, low margin, percentage margin, like engines and tires. Why don't we flip it and look at the other challenge that we're facing in this industry is oil changes. Because when you put an oil change through the measuring, <laughs> the GP dollars per hour are quite negative. And I think we would all agree on that part of it. <clears throat> so then the question is, is why... Why do we focus on getting more oil changes? Because that's the old, let's get the car in and inspect it, um, right? So the, the other idea is, is to measure the one line back to mix of work is that those oil change only invoices. Why are we even doing them when they're a losing proposition in the first place, right? So the idea is, is to come up with some solutions to address that issue on the other end of all the little things that we do that have no GP dollars in the transaction. We, we keep trying to give them the cheaper and cheaper labor. Like, let's give it to the apprentice. Let's give it to the, the, the co-op student. And we, you know, maybe we'll make some money if we give it to my nephew to do because he'll work for free, right? He'll work for chicken and biscuits. <laughs> like, you know, we're working at it the wrong way around when it comes to the other end of, the, of these services as well. 
But I think we have a I think we have a mental issue in our industry as a as an industry, and that is that in order for me to keep my base full, I have to do oil changes, and and so you know, and I give it to my C tech because he's a low cost to me, and there's no real money in it, and then my C tech is the guy who's doing the inspection on the car. Okay, who should be inspecting that car? You know, um, we need to shift as an industry, in my opinion from oil changes to inspection and maintain the car. We do what the car needs. Twice a year you come in, we do what the car needs. If you're a high mileage driver, maybe that's three times a year, four times a year. But <clears throat> the oil and the filter used to be the big deal because the car only lasted 80,000 miles. So forget about you know flushing the, the brakes or even net, maybe replacing them. You know The car wasn't gonna be around that long. The head gasket was gonna go, the engine was gonna fall apart and it just wasn't worth putting that money in. But today, when you're spending forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars for a car, you want that thing to last as long as possible. And the oil change is the small part of it. The inspection and taking care of what that car needs. Uh, don't get me don't get me wrong. One of my cars was in the shop yesterday, and they sent me a you know they sent me a list, and I'm like, ah, oh, crap, not again. But take care of that car because if not, I have to go replace it. I have to go spend you know, $38,000, $40,000 to replace that vehicle. I, I don't want to do that. We need to make a shift away from oil changes, period. We have to stop talking about them and, and talk about servicing the vehicle and taking care of the vehicle. Well, it's kind of, uh, what, <clears throat> what does dentistry do? They do check checkups, right? Health checkups. You go in and they inspect your teeth and they find what's wrong and they let you know what's going on before it gets bad. And they don't and they have their charge cheapest you, they charge you for and they that. charge you for it. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't have their cheapest person uh, doing the teeth cleaning because that's the person that finds the cavities and the other issues that now the dentist can make real money on. You know, I, I think it's a mistake to have your, your, your really your worst guy. And that's a terrible way to put it. Cause he's not a bad guy. He just doesn't really skilled. the car. You're less skilled person inspecting the vehicle. Um, I want my best skilled person inspecting that vehicle because if if it's got cracked upper control arm bushings, I want it seen and I want to be talking about my client and, and the value of taking care of that. And unfortunately, when we, we, we all four of us, we could talk about inspections and talk about how poorly they're done often when we come to these shops that are just not making money. It's not necessarily a car count problem. It's a low average repair order problem. Right and a margin problem. Well, and lost lost sales. I mean, I think that's something that has to enter the picture, and I think that that's something that most shops don't do at all or don't do very well because they don't understand lost sales. Is what was the opportunity that this store had that didn't get sold this month or this week? You know, and are and you tracking really, that so you can sell it later? No, you're not. Well, it's not even that. It, it, no, I'm not tracking it so I can sell it later. I'm looking for sell it today. The car is here. We saw the car. What did the car need? Sell it today. Not, oh, come back in two. There's a, I mean, honestly, that's a problem with a lot of shops is because they're so busy because their car count is so high and their hours per repair order is so low. They're, they're allowing cars to drive off the lot that need work, hoping that they'll come back later. Yeah. And I can tell you that's a, that's a and, fool. So when you start to manage that correctly, that car gets inspected by a good inspector and that work gets sold today. And done. You know, and, 
and so, done if at all possible, so, right? I mean, yeah, that's so. The other thing, and I think this is important as a coach or consultant or as a business owner, I, I have a standard or a, a number that I think is the right number there. Right? <clears throat> so when we talk to general repair shops, we, we really want them to have an average repair order probably between six and $800. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, then you're not doing good inspections. You're not pricing yourself correctly. There's some missing pieces. And, and rather than bring you know five more cars in today and do five more oil changes, why not clean up those pieces, sell $200 more to the client I have while the car's here and get it done? We have uh, in our in our small fleet of vehicles in our household, we have a 2012 Volkswagen Tiguan. And uh, in its early years, when it was brand new, it went in for maybe one or two single oil change services when it was brand new. But since it's getting been, and that was like the, to do with recalls and some other stuff like that, but it went to the aftermarket right after that. And I've never, ever made a phone call to the shop I go to for, can I book in my oil change? They actually phone me, email me, actually is my preference, and say, if you recall, we talked about these items last time. We tentatively gave you an appointment there. Your appointment for your Tiguan for these services is July the 18th. Now, I trained the shop to charge me more. <laughs> it's kind of an <laughs> ironic situation. But but we don't, we don't, we never phone a place for our vehicles for an oil change. We don't book oil changes. We book our car for a service. Just like Cecil said, the things had two standalone services in its whole lifetime. And it's a it's a nine-year-old vehicle. It's and it's it's got, you know, it's got in for a visit, it's got a cabin air filter, an air filter, and wipers. And then the next visit is a brake fluid flush and a GDI fuel injection service. Is the oil and filter changed? Of course it is. Are there inspections done? Of course inspections are done, right? At a certain point when they got older, those controller and bushings did show wear and we did have to do some suspension work and then the brakes eventually went as well. But but the idea is, and this is, I think, where some of the shop owners need to shift their mindset. Maybe you don't understand how to do that is, is there's a segment of people who just want oil changes because they think that that's how to look after a car and they're mis- mis- miseducated, if you want to put that. And then there's a segment of us who just want somebody to look after it. Just here's my keys. Like just, just do it so it doesn't break, right? And and um, when you begin to offer this to a segment of the driving public, they love it. They actually love the fact that they don't have to think about it. And it's that mindset. And now we've added another layer to this conversation as well, right? Is very different from the oil change model that so many shops are still stuck in. So how do you how do you deal with? I have my methods. I want to know yours. Um, the guy that is so booked with oil changes <clears throat> that they're not their average repair order is low, not because they're not finding work or not because they couldn't sell it, but they literally can't do it. Uh, here's here's one of the knife edge systems that I teach people. Every vehicle that comes in for something besides an oil change, all right? So you have a group of clientele and there a few of them are coming in for brakes, ball joints, check engine lights, whatever. I say to them, anybody that comes in for a non-oil change item, look up when their next oil change is due in your system, right? Oh, look, they're 50 miles away from their next oil change. They're 100 miles away. They're six, eight, you know, 800 miles away from the next oil change. Phone the client up and say, hey, listen, while we're doing the brakes today, why don't we get that oil change done today so you don't have to come back in two weeks? Done. You've just eliminated one future oil change from happening down the road. And as soon as you develop that pattern, as soon as you do 25% of them or 30% of them, guess what? 30% less car count in the future because you've got them out of the way now while that client was already there. Even to the point. 
you just scared the average shop owner because you said I'll have 30% less car count in the future. You just well, I mean, you're, <laughs> you actually you you're actually right, Cecil. I mean, most people, most shop owners can't can't comprehend that. I mean, their biggest fear is we're going to come tomorrow and there's going to be less cars to work on. They don't understand that. That you can be more profitable with fewer cars, that the lot doesn't have to be full. You don't have to be running, you know, cars through the shop like you're herding cattle. That's not necessary to be profitable. So the guy down the street is, so, is so Dad, coming out his ears and and holy smokes, I I want to be as busy as he is. You know, I'm well, I just realized there's like eight hundred dollars, eight hundred years worth of automotive experience in this on this podcast. So eight hundred. <laughs> yeah, well, it's mainly focused with, with two people, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um no <laughs> here here's what I, I like to remind people is what what is what business are you in what is your business model and does anybody get paid a bonus for more cars on their lot the model that we have is we buy labor wholesale and we resell it and we could be HVAC contractors, we could be electrical contractors, do the same thing. You buy skilled labor wholesale and you resell the labor. Well, the goal here is if I'm buying eight to sell at least eight. Otherwise, why did I buy eight? And and so how do we best do that? Well, if they were if the technician has to work on eight cars, he will never bill eight hours in because there's too much time wasted moving cars in and out. Yep. So so what's the goal? The goal is to I bought eight hours from this guy. I need to sell at least eight. How am I going to do that? Well, the easiest way is probably only three or four cars per tech, period. That's it. But you have to, if you do that, um, you have to have some skill and you have to bring in the right client. Um, you have to, your marketing has to match. Well, and, and you've got to have somebody on the front counter that knows how to sell. And you have to have someone at the counter that can build relationships and create value for the client. And, you know, and that's probably the biggest fault in our industry is we still take technicians out of the back who don't like people, but they love cars. And we put them on the front counter and make them deal with people. And uh, they, I mean, how much, how much diagnostic is given away every day in our industry? Oh my. I mean, it, you know, it only takes me 15 minutes. I was a great tech. It won't take me 15 minutes. Yeah. We shouldn't charge a guy more than 15 minutes. So, no, yeah. but you know, this thing that, that Dan brings up, I think so many people miss that, right? This this labor thing is inventory. If you're buying eight hours, then you better sell it. You know, just it's like spark plugs. You would never put six spark plugs in somebody's car and charge them for five, but we do it all the time with labor. We'll we'll let a tech spend half the afternoon on a car that we're not going to get paid for. But if you so if you really manage that, I mean, my, my shop, we had 119% productivity. So we, for an eight-hour day, we were doing, I don't know what it was, 9.5 or 9.4 hours. Yep. And, and that's because we used a, a labor matrix. That's because we charged enough to cover the test drive and the paperwork and all the brown bananas, all the things that go on in our industry that we just can't directly charge for. Hey, we put a mat in your car. That's a dollar fifty. You know, we we test drove the car. That's seven dollars. You know, whatever. We don't do that. Um, we, the shops 
the average productivity is somewhere around 70%, give or take 3%. And that's, it's been that way from day one, and it continues to go that way. And yet it doesn't need to be that way if you are paying attention and building great. This is fingernails on a blackboard, Cecil, because you're using <laughs> productivity when you mean proficiency. And, and uh, we, we need to... I don't even know what proficiency is. I looked it up in the dictionary. There's nothing there. <laughs> It was like a made up word between efficiency and productivity. I teach a class on this that you should. How many hours does my guy produce that I can bill a customer for? Okay. If he's there eight and he he produces 10, and that's the only number you look at, that's a proficiency number. Yeah. Productivity is how much time was was he actually working on cars in an eight hour day? I would call that efficiency. Was he efficient when he was actually working on the car? No, that's efficiency is I build this much and it took him this much. And and you know what? That's because you learned all that from Bob and I learned all my stuff from Jim and Jim, (laughs) all the different things. I don't think it matters what we call it, frankly. Well, when I pay eight hours out for that labor, how much do I get to charge a customer? How many hours can I get charged? And, and, and what can I bring in? You know, we, we, we have told multiple times and we did this in my shop. My guys had a, a, an oven timer. And when they had an hour diag on the car, they set that timer at 45 minutes. When that thing went ding, they were done. It's hands off. You know, if, oh. tell me what you know. Tell me what you did. Tell me what you think you do. Uh, I, I had an infection on my hand. I went to the doctor. He said, well, I don't know what it is, um, but let's give you these two medications. And oh, by the way, if these don't work, come back in two weeks, right? So two weeks later, I'm back. He charged me for another visit. He charged me for another medication. Um, it, we In our industry, we think once we take the car in, that's it. We told them it's going to be 125 bucks, $150. We have to diagnose the car for that because that's what we said. And, and, and that's not necessarily true. It shouldn't be. Murray, you, you have something to say. Yeah. We're, we're now I'm going to add another layer of conversation here. Remember how, <laughs> how I said it would reduce the car count, even though profitability will be up because you can now do more on each car Mm -hmm. is there's also this, this, what we're working with here is what motivates the shop owner, technician turned owner, right? So if there's lots of cars, if the parking lot's full, if they're physically busy, they feel good, even though there may not be profit or money going in the bank. Um, if the bays are full, I had one client who who kept adding bays and then he kept bringing cars into the bay and pulling off a guy from another car on the bay going, now work on this one. And the technician's like, what do you mean? I'm not down. He, he had this obsession with keeping the bays full. So one of the things I worked with him at was, because I knew the ratios, I said, leave one bay empty for 30 days. And he said, he he was not a, he, he was not a drug addict, but he said, I can imagine what a drug addict would feel like, he said, because when I saw that empty bay, it was all I could do not to bring another car into that empty bay. I said, but your guys were still busy, weren't they? He said, yeah. Did you make more money in those 30 days? Yes, I did. He said, because you stopped pulling your guys off of other stuff that they were already engaged in. So there's a feeling of human motivation. What is it that motivates us to feel good? So we're talking, and you guys all as coaches have been doing this long enough. You know that this is getting to that touchy-feely stuff now where we got to talk about psychological motivation and learning 
to change those habits that, that we're addicted to. I'm going to use the language that we're addicted to in order to get addicted to new behaviors that give us the results that we need. So we're talking a pretty deep level of human behavior here at this point. Um, yeah, I'll just drop and then that you got you And then you got the opposite end of that spectrum where you got a guy that really needs a service bay and the service bay is there, but he keeps his race car in the service bay. So it's non-productive. So we can talk about that guy too. Forty thousand dollars so, a month sitting right there. Everybody so I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in again because I'm I am supposed to be hosting. This is probably the easiest podcast I've ever hosted so far, um, which is great. But I want to bring it back to this question of uh, gross profit margin or gross profit dollars because there is viability on both sides. It just depends on how you you approach it. And I want to go into kind of a pros and cons of both gross profit margin and gross profit dollars and what kind of steers us towards success in either realm. I, I think I'm with Murray in the fact that, you know, um, you look at as a, as a consultant, as a, as a, a diagnostician, I look at certain things and I can't look at only one thing because if I only look at one thing, I, I miss a lot of other stuff. So as an example, uh, shop doesn't separate parts and labor um, they're making good margin at the end, they have money in the bank, but their parts margin is very low and their labor margin is very high. Who suffers in that, in that instance? The technicians, because they're not being paid enough. So I need my parts margin so that I can have a lower labor margin and spend more of that money on my technicians. I need to know multiple things in my business and understand what they mean. So, you know, margin, I don't, in my world, I don't want to sacrifice margin to keep that. I'm with Bill. I'd rather stand around and do nothing and make zero dollars. Hell, I can go home. I can go work on my own car. I can, you know, do whatever. Then bring somebody in that I can't be profitable on, right? And and have an operation that's not profitable. On the other hand, if we're making high margin dollars, but we don't have enough work in the shop, that that's also going to not it's not going to work for me. We have to balance a lot of things in the business. And I think that's that when I said, you know, you set a standard, you say to yourself, I need 13 cars. I got four guys in my shop. I need 13 cars. I need an average repair order close to $800. That's about 3.1 hours in the, in the shop that I ran. Um, When we did good inspections, we had good clients. They wanted to take care of their car. We sold them what they needed. Nothing else, nothing more. And, and we had a, a shop that did 2.6 million with four technicians in a year. Um, that's a very well-run, well, very profitable shop. Not because we had margin and we had car count and we had jobs being sold and we got them out in an efficient manner. And we had, according to Dan, proficiency in our shop. And, uh, and, and so I don't think you can say it's one or the other. My, my problem with this whole conversation is that we have coaches and consultants out there teaching, discount that job, find a cheaper part, um, uh, give something up, uh, but keep that job in your shop uh, because you don't want to be standing there with nothing to do. And if you have lots to do, you'll have enough gross profit dollars, which is not necessary. Which ultimately cuts into your margins. Well, it, if you're yes. not if you're not getting margin, you're not getting dollars. 
okay? Or you're doing a whole lot more work than you probably should do to get those dollars. I'm not disagreeing that, um, you know, bring an engine in, if it's gonna make me 300 bucks uh, in gross profit dollars an hour, to me, that's a good job, if that's my number, right? And that might be an engine. It might be, you know, two sets of tires. Well, except, except, you can only bring that engine in if you have the right talent. Yeah. Bill, you can only bring the diagnostic job in if you've got the right talent. You're right. And, And so, Dan, you're exact. Isn't that where a lot of problems come in? Look at the work that's being done in some of these shops by people that don't have that talent. It's well, like, we're not going to miss that job. We're not going to miss that. We're Even though I really don't have the guy to do that diagnostics or to do that check engine light, this guy's close enough. That's a real problem. That's a real problem in our industry right now is, is yes. And I, and I do not like classifying technicians A, B, C. That's just, that's just wrong. But I will say that, that if you have a guy who is a expert on suspension front end, chassis stuff and you ask him to do diagnostics you are probably asking for trouble so you you have to yes you you have to market for the clientele for the talent that you have uh, my shop i had an amazing technician uh drivability all sorts of stuff um, he did not have experience in diesel for me to take in a diesel vehicle when i had nobody that had experience or talent in diesel would be absolutely insane um, I, I can, I, I call, uh, well, I, I say that shop owners have to watch out for two things. There's, there's alligators and sharks out there and sharks are the customers that are dishonest. And, and you usually get that feeling on the front counter in your gut that there's something wrong with this customer, avoid them. The other thing we have to watch out for is an alligator. And that's a car. We don't have any ability to work on and we let it crawl into a bay and eat one of our technicians alive. Yep. And of course, you took in the alligator when it was slow, and then it gets busy, but you can't get rid of it because your technician's got his, he's up to his waist and mm-hmm. getting eaten alive by this thing. So, um, I, I, yeah, taking in a. <laughs> it's so, so good to be back in this room with you guys. I love all these analogies. <laughs> I, have, I have all these rules, and one of my rules is always have the right person do the right job. Never. I mean, you know, you'll be in your shop. And your best diag tech is either tied up or he's not here today. He's out sick or whatever. And you take in a diag and then you hand it to the guy who you know is going to take three days. The car is going to be on. And you have three pissed off people. I'm pissed because I got to explain to the customer, try to. So the service advisor is upset. The customer's upset. And by the way, the technician's upset also. You can't, there's nothing wrong with saying, I can't take that today. My best guy that would do that is not here. Let's get it in tomorrow or the next day. You know, whatever that is, don't give the wrong, the wrong car to the wrong guy. Never. I mean, you guys, I, I used, to, you guys use the dental analogy a lot, right? So when it's the dentist day off, you don't go in to have a filling done. <laughs> Nobody can do it. You wouldn't the hygienist, the hygienist is going to do it, right? I have to, I have to step in here uh, and I hate to break this up. It sounds like there's, there's some major issues that are contributing to this kind of confusion. One, it seems like there's a desperation out there in shop owners, meaning that they they have to feel they've got it. They've got to be busy. We've got the wrong motivators in place. And I think there's maybe an overall misunderstanding of how either gross profit margin or gross profit dollars factor into a profitable business. Um, and I'd love to get back to this, but we're going to take a short break. 
for advertisement real quick and let's roll that. This is where Michael's going to put in a commercial for us. Um, quick. And uh, welcome back. Those of you who are listening to this, if, you, if you're learning something, if you are enjoying the conversation, please give us a like and a share. And uh, if you have any questions, please hit the comments section down below. We are watching that. Uh, I wanted to remind you that if you are looking for any kind of help in your business and running a profitable and successful business, I mean, you can reach us, the Institute at weartheinstitute.com and any of these other guys. Uh, where can we find you? Murray Voth at rpmtraining.net. Ozperformanceconsulting.com. And Dan? RLOtraining.com. If you guys have any questions or you need any help, this room, this panel right now is a wealth of knowledge to help you improve either your gross profit margin or your gross profit dollars, whichever way they decide to approach it. Apparently 800 years worth. Apparently 800. <laughs> All right, baby. Well, All right. Bill so Bill was I, consulting with Henry Ford. Well, yeah. <laughs> you knew him personally? Was that the first Henry Ford, the second, yeah. or the third? Oh, the first, the first, the, the, the real, the very deal. first one. The real right. deal. About changing the color of the cars from black to white or black to red or something, and lost that battle. <laughs> Whatever that was. So, why? Why is it? I mean, even just this panel has been very divisive. I mean, the, both are right. So, why do you think there is such a, a split? when it comes to consultancies as to what we want to be tracking, what we want to be monitoring. I, I wouldn't say that, frankly, um, you know, Dan and I, we, we might seem a little uh, playful here, but frankly, Dan and I and, and Murray and, and Bill, we're all about, you know, helping that shop to be profitable and et cetera. And, you know, Dan teases me because I call it productivity. He thinks that's wrong. And I give him crap because he says proficiency and, you know, it's 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 part of the love, frankly. Um, in this room, there's a lot of love, and there's a lot of um, we appreciate each other, and we and we we respect each other greatly. Yeah. Um, for me, it's not this room that bothers me. It's it's some of the stuff that goes on in our industry because it feels good to the tech. It propagates bad uh, habits. So keep your base full, no matter what. It makes them feel good, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make them profitable. And we have people teaching keep your base full no matter what, when it ought to be make your business profitable and and, and keep the right amount of cars in your in your in your business, right? The right clients. Well, and I think I think part of it is, you know, are are, are there varying opinions here? Absolutely, there's varying opinions. We're all different people. We all have a little varying different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. That's what molded who each of us are, right? So that's where we come from. But I think the main point in, in a lot of this is simply there's too many people that just aren't paying attention. And what I mean by that, Kent, is they're not paying attention to the data. The data is out there and the data exists, but yet they will try to manage or they'll try to make decisions that are going to impact their business or impact their employees without having the data. They'll absolutely ignore the data because I don't think this will work. Or I think this feel if it feels good to me, it, it's got to work. And and th although the data might tell them, don't, stop, wait, look at this, they just ignore the data. And I think that's a real problem in our industry. And I think you got four guys here that are pretty much data guys. It's like, 
The evidence is here's the data, and the data shows if we do this, this will happen. That well, too many I mean, people are ignoring the data. We we all make uh, every decision is an emotional one, right? Yep. And back to what Murray Murray was talking about uh, this perception of what what feels good, right? And you guys are both hit on that. So how do we how do we? I mean, there's there's a million different ways we can have, well not a million, but there's a variety of different ways. And those of you out there who are struggling with this issue, we've just discussed at least four different ways that we can approach the same issue with a solution to that issue. So if you are having any problems, I mean, just look at this podcast today. But how do we as an industry start that process of education uh, where they're not making these decisions emotionally? Well, I think the first thing the first thing to do is along the lines of what Bill said is to encourage them to measure the business, give them the tools to measure it, give them the standards, benchmarks, guidelines to compare to, stand beside them and help them have courage to look at the numbers, not as a personal attack, but as a fact. This is the fact. The fact is that this is what's happening there. So let's face the facts. And let's work on the tools that will change those facts so that you end up with the results that you actually dreamed about when you first opened your shop. There's that there's such a big disconnect between what they thought they were going to do when they started versus what's actually happening after the four or five years they've been in business. So I'm, I'm back to the back to the psychology again, but measure the numbers, face the numbers is probably one of the hardest things I had to do, you know, and back to you guys comment on Bob O'Connor. Right. I had to stare that man down with my numbers the first time and uh, showed up. You know, and it was very intimidating. Um, but at the end of the day, right, puts his arm around my shoulder and says, "You can, you're going to do this. You're going to, you're going to do this." And we did over the course of some time uh, with the systems and the processes to actually change that. So I think the first thing is is to measure um, the numbers and to know what they mean. So I'm back and build up on that. And uh, the second thing I would say that would be for a shop owner who's not doing that, for shop owners who are already measuring their numbers. There's a problem with looking at too many numbers, um, right? You get sidetracked. So, so I think the two numbers that got brought up in this conversation, GP percentage, GP dollars, and Dan's GP dollars per hour, like that, that's my big focus with my coaching clients right now is GP dollars per hour. Is That's, that's a number because so many other numbers feed that number right there. And I, th- I think there's, there's really limited time and, and limited resource. And by understanding the numbers, you know, it's like, it's like a, working on a, a car, you know, check engine lights on. Do you just start pulling parts off because, you know, the last five white cars had the same problem or do you get the scanner and scan it? I mean, it's a joke in our industry, you know, it's the white car problem. So we'll get the oxygen sensor. That's what I put on the last white car. But in business, we see this happen kind of almost over and over again. Instead of really, you know, getting the scanner out and understanding the numbers, I have limited time as a business owner. I need to understand where my time is most valuably spent. And the only way I can do that is, is by creating the kind of the financial models and, and trying to understand what these things mean so that I put the right component. I replace the right part. I, I fix the right system. And, and I'll go back with what Murray said in that, you can't do 800 things at a time. So, you know, pick two and get those two solved in your business, create good habits, and then move on to the next thing and the next thing. And as you go, it gets easier and easier and easier. Little piece of advice I give my clients 
especially the ones that are overwhelmed, I say start with a half an hour a week locked in your office. And I, they say, what am I going to do? Because I want them to get to the point where they're beginning to look at their numbers, right? And I said, two things. First, you're committing to a half an hour away from any other activity except your office. Mm-hmm. So you, I said, I don't care if you play poker or solitaire or read a book. I don't care about you. I said, and secondly, and even probably as important, more important, is you're teaching your team that you are not available for a half an hour this week and you are steering the ship. And then that half an hour, as a habit grows after a month of half hour a week, it grows to a half hour twice a week. And next thing you know, it's a half hour a day. And then a year later, you look back. And one guy, I met him at a convention. Three years later, he says, Murray, I'm four hours a day in my office. Right? And he says, my team is loving it. He says, because now they see the ship the way I'm steering the ship. He said, and this guy was like ADHD, hyperkinetic. You know how technicians are, right? He, he, he'd come up at six, or six o'clock in the morning and, and have all the bays loaded for his text before they even started. I mean, that's the energy level of this guy. He's at four hours a day in his office now, and he's building this, not that an empire is what you need to do, but he's building this empire. He's got drag racers. He's built a drag racing empire now. He built a heavy duty diesel side. He's built a towing company. Now he now he's, he's um, what are they doing? All this Jeep, fancy Jeep stuff that he's doing, all because he spent a half an hour years ago, and I made himself lock himself in a room uh, to begin to look at. To me, that was probably the, the the most basic thing to start is that habit of a half an hour a week locked in your office. You know, I, you need to, you need to do that with some people because when they're locked in their office, they don't get in the way. <laughs> it can't cause any harm. Can't cause. But you know, honestly, I did exactly that when I had when I had my own shop. Every afternoon, every day, not once a week, every afternoon. For half an hour, minimum of half an hour, I was in my office and the door was closed. And the rule was this. Do not knock on that door unless the building's on fire. Mm-hmm. What what constitute? We had that conversation recently, Deb. What constitutes an emergency? That's blood fun. or fire. That's kind of a fun <laughs> That's yeah, it. Blood, blood or fire. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been in this business a long time, as much as anybody here. And, and I've, I've seen a lot of cars that, that, <laughs> that came back. I've seen a lot of cars that didn't get fixed right the first time. I mean, not a lot as a percentage, but over the years, that number adds up. It's not an emergency. Nobody's hurt. Not an emergency. You might treat it that way for your customer's appearance to make them feel good about it, but it really isn't an emergency. It's just another broken car that we can fix. Um, so, so I have to do this because we're at around that time. <laughs> where we're going to have to wrap things up. Uh, you guys can stay on for a little bit after we, we, we end this, but what I'd like to do is what are your final thoughts on gross profit dollars, gross profit margin? And uh, what do you have coming up that people should be aware of? And let's start with bill. Um, final thoughts would be, you know, pay attention to the data. I mean, there's nothing, that's going to help you more in your business today. So if you're already measuring, then use those measurements to give you the data that you need and make sure that your decisions are data-driven. Somebody mentioned earlier, most decisions are emotional. I I know that. But data-driven decisions are the path to success. So use the data, pay attention to what's going on around you. Um, What do we have coming up? Um, we're going to be at ASTE in North Carolina in a couple months. We're going to be out in Las Vegas for Apex in a couple months. And other than that, um, 
most of my time right now is being consumed by planning my wife's birthday party. <laughs> Wonderful. Dan, final thoughts and uh, what's coming up? Well, I would, uh, I would encourage people uh, along the line with Bill said, you need to understand uh, your numbers and, and keep track of your numbers. And, and I go back to gross profit dollars per hour. How much do you need in gross profit dollars per hour to be profitable? And that's not just covering your expenses. That's also hitting your profit goals. And then how do I, how do I get there? And then the <laughs> other thing, uh, along with Murray's comment, which I thought was, was wonderful, Murray, about the psychology is I believe that joining a peer group, and I know Murray has peer groups and Cecil has peer groups and we have peer groups, but joining a peer group, I, and Bill, I don't know if you do or not, but uh, but joining a peer group, because there's two things that will happen. There'll be these other people that are just like you in the room and you'll look around and you say, well, if that guy can do it, I can sure do it. And then the other thing that will happen is the you'll have these other people looking at your business and saying, um, you know, this is where I would focus. And so instead of having all this stuff to look at, they can pinpoint the two or three things you need to be focused on right now. So um, I, I, I believe that peer groups um, are the most valuable way to, to move your business forward or the easiest way, because they get you with the psychology and the numbers and the kick in the butt or the pat on the back, whichever you need at the time. So. Awesome. Well, I wanted to use an analogy of, uh, of a, a shop that I'm working with or two shops. And uh, one has got excellent margins percentage wise, but not enough dollars for the expense load because their occupancy costs are high and there's a couple of layers of family and they're still taking paychecks. <laughs> um, and so they need more GP dollars. So the plan is hire another technician for more GP dollars. All right. The other shop is perfect sold hours per work or average work order size margin. Everything's perfectly in place, not enough cars. So now they're going to do and their marketing is improving. So now they're focusing on car count. And one of the methods is going to be booking the next appointment um, that way. So, so, Again, I'll stick to my percentages are the gauges that tells us the performance, the dollars is the horsepower that goes into the bank that we do that. Uh, I've got a smart course, service management and result training, which uh, my next one starting up is August the 31st. And I'm currently writing my TRAMS course, which is SMART Reversed. I love my acronyms. <clears throat> I think Dan knows that. So do we. <laughs> uh, so TRAMS starts, stands for Training in Results of automotive management systems. And it's a, an eight hour, uh, starts with an income statement. And I ask and ask the, whoever takes the course, how do you make more money by looking at an income statement? And then we're going to break it down into the numbers that Bill's talking about on the movables that we're going to do to actually put more money in the bank. So that's what I've got coming up. And I think I got two spots left in my peer groups. Um, right now I've got, uh, and guess what the good news is? Two spots have opened up because shops are being sold this summer and two guys are retiring. Very exciting. Very awesome. exciting. Yeah. Great. And uh, dad, final thoughts and what do we have coming up? I think, I think it's, it's really important that you understand this <clears throat> in a financial um, situation as a financial model. Um, there's a right way. There's the right margins to have the right car count to have. And, and it's a little different depending on you, the, the shop owner, but in general, it's the same thing. And if we understand that and we, and we know those numbers and we know what they mean for us, now we can put our time and energy in the right places to improve, get the best improvement. And as we do that, 
our businesses become easier and easier to run with better and better results. And so we need to constantly be doing that. Now, if, if you want, if you really feel like you don't have a complete handle on your financials, we have gear for shops, G E A R for shops.com.com where you can go in and take a, a financial class. I mean, I have, a you know, all the numbers you need to know about your automotive business. Uh, the title is, is something like that close. <laughs> I can't remember from day to day. I'm getting too old. Um, but we also have our, our marketing conference uh, on July the 30th and 31st here at the Institute. Um, we are bringing in seven experts from different areas, uh, website, SEO, social, uh, social media, uh, geofencing. There's uh, people talking about the Google algorithm and the changes that are coming with AI and voice to text and stuff like that. OTT, which is brand new, uh, just really started a couple of months ago. Uh, we've got an expert coming in as a guest speaker nobody knows about. Uh, this guy uh, probably buys over a billion dollars worth of ads um, uh, a, a year as part of his business. Um, and, and so, you know, you can come to the, the Institute. We are the Institute.com, uh, uh, Mars Mark, Marketing Conference. Look for the Marketing Conference. And uh, there are still some seats. There is limited room uh, there, but there are still some seats there. So, yeah. Uh, if, if car counts your issue and you feel like I want to, I want to get a handle on the future of that, the Mars conference is the place to be. Uh, and getting in, getting increasing your car count with the right customers. And I think, I think the last thing is, you know, um, I'm, I'm with Dan. I think that the groups, peer groups are literally the least expensive and, and one of the best ways to grow. Mm-hmm. my business. But it, a one-on-one with a, a coach that really, Get you, understand you, and can help you change your habits and, and focus on the right things uh, is is great. We are doing um, Jumpstart, which will come out in September. We are actually uh, six months with shops. We're filming uh, so you can see the process, see what the, uh, the shop owner is going through, and see the changes as they happen. That will be on our YouTube. And I don't know where you go to get our YouTube except YouTube. And uh, Kent, you can probably tell them so. That's it for me. You just, with with the YouTube, it's just. Uh, in fact, we'll we'll just throw the link in the description. That's easier, right? Project Jumpstart is set to publish in September. Uh, like my dad said, we're going to be recording pretty much our entire consulting program from you know the nitty gritty. Luckily, we have a wonderful shop owner who's willing to die on the sword for everyone out there. Uh, so that they can see exactly what it takes and what's going on and that they're not alone in their struggles to become a successful shop. Um, I mean, Brian has been phenomenal uh, about this. He hasn't hidden in everything. He's been very open about everything. So we're very excited for that series to come out. It's going to be completely free. And you guys can check that out on YouTube uh, around September. But yeah, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for being on here. This was a phenomenal panel. Um just this one conversation was a wealth of knowledge and I'm hoping that we can actually do this again. So if you guys are interested, I want to get together on some more complex topics. Again, again, if you guys are looking for any kind of help, all four of these guys are, are phenomenal at what they do and you should reach out to them if you, if you need uh, or want help. Um, make sure to like, share, and follow so that when we do post new content, you guys are aware of that. Uh, if you if you enjoyed this and you learned something, please give us a shout uh, or a comment down below uh, saying your best part from today's show. Make sure to tune in July 21st for episode 76, where we're going to be talking about increasing productivity within your business. And again, 
register for Mars so you can start attracting the best customers to your business and improve your ROI. You can register at, at uh, weareinstitute.com forward slash Mars dash marketing dash conference. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Awesome. Thank you guys. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by gearforshops.com and the Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iforabe.com. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you in the next one.